This morning's notes that you have in your hands there have way less detail than I normally have on them. Um, and that's because uh, this morning's sermon is not what I planned on preaching. So just a warning that um, this one's really coming from my heart, and your notes may or may not be helpful. So <laughs> I tried to throw something together quick this morning. Um, quite simply, the Holy Spirit has been really, really nailing my heart about something recently. And it's something that I just really feel like he has asked me to talk about every opportunity I have a chance to talk. And so if you get around me much, I'm probably going to talk about this theme at some point uh, right now because he's just really been, been hitting me on this. And so here it goes. So if we look at the world around us, we see a world in turmoil, do we not? Las Vegas, terrorism in Europe, people being shot, racial profiling, hatred, division, fights in schools, bomb threats, shooting threats, earthquakes, unexplainable illnesses, doctors being confused, unable to make accurate and timely diagnosis. I could go on and on and on. We live in a world right now that is in turmoil, upheaval, no peace, no comfort. And those of us who are Christians, would, we would have the answer, right? We know the answer to that turmoil. We need to turn to God. We not only need to turn to God, we need to run to Him. We need to run into his arms. We need to hide behind him. We need to beg him to protect us. But there's a problem. <laughs> We're not doing that. Some of us are, and some of us are doing it consistently. Some of us are doing it inconsistently. But the fact is, many of us are not turning to God like we should, even as Christians. And so I'm standing here thinking, you know, how do we expect the world to turn to God if we as followers of Jesus aren't turning to him consistently. And the Holy Spirit has been giving me the reason why. Okay? What, what did I name your notes? What, what's it say? The answer to what is paralyzing us. There is something in the world today, there is something in our lives that I believe is absolutely paralyzing us. Absolutely positively. And I think it's something that has been in the world from the very beginning. Now, a lot of you have heard me talk about sin, uh, heard me talk about evil, and you'll hear me say often, at least I would imagine you've heard me say, that I believe at the root of all sin, at the root of all evil, is selfishness, right? I've started to rethink that a little bit. Go with me on this. In the beginning, right? So Eve and Adam, they're hanging out in the garden, Satan comes to Eve, and he starts to ask her questions. And I often teach that because of Eve's selfishness, she wanted to be powerful, she wanted to be all knowledgeable, and so she gave in and, and ate the fruit, right? Here's what I think actually happened. Satan began to get Eve to question God. Did he really say that? Because I don't think that's really what he meant. And so Eve begins to not trust God at that moment. What happens when you don't trust someone or something? Fear sets in. I think the root of all evil, the root of all sin, is a four-letter word, and it's fear. I think we get afraid. 
I have felt the Holy Spirit tell me time and time again in the last weeks, there is fear. There is fear. There is fear. I've heard the Holy Spirit tell me personally, go after the fear. Get rid of the fear. Eradicate the fear. You see, fear is stopping up the works. Fear is building on itself. It's, it's growing exponentially. It's causing us Christians, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, to not trust. Not trust God, not trust others. We're so afraid to approach we're not even sure that we can. And so then we say, if I can't trust God, how can I trust anyone else? And that fear is filtering into our lives. Us, followers of Jesus, are afraid. I believe the number one tool that Satan is using in our world right now, and I'll go so far as to say the number one tool Satan has used all down through the ages is fear. He can get us afraid of something. He can manipulate us like you wouldn't believe. He knows that it paralyzes us. He knows that it keeps us from approaching anywhere near our potential. So the question is, how do we overcome this? How do we overturn the tables on fear? How do we get rid of it? Psalm 34 this is a passage of scripture that I absolutely love. And we need to take a close look at this. Verses 1 through 3. This is David speaking. He says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glorify the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. First thing I want us to notice here is David worshiped. How often did he worship, class? All the time. In the original Hebrew class, what does the word all mean? I know you get tired of that joke, but we have to see it that way. So when David was carrying out the trash, was he worshiping? When David was going into battle, was he worshiping? Was they, I mean, you know, fill in the blank, right? Now, David wasn't perfect, right? This is what I want my life to be. I want my life to be full of worship, constant worship. Now, you've heard me use this illustration before, but it's really good. I'm going to use it again. All right? One of the definitions of the word worship in the Old Testament is the same definition that's used for a dog licking its master's hand. Now, go with me on this. Go with me on this. So we should be licking God's hand? <laughs> that's kind of weird, right? Yeah, sounds kind of weird, but listen to this, okay? We have observed dogs before, right? How many have you ever seen a dog licking its master's hand? Now, I'm not talking about after they just put a T-bone on the grill. I'm saying the master's sitting there comfortably, and the dog is sitting there beside them, and they just kind of absentmindedly lick the master's hand. How many of you have ever seen that? You see, that's the concept here. That's the idea here. It's a sign of affection. It's a sign of love. And I would say it's a sign of trust. That dog totally trusts its master. Now, how many of you have ever seen a dog that isn't trusting? They approach someone with their head down, 
its tail between its legs, side to side. It's kind of coming indirectly. The dog's kind of on full alert, right? At the first sign of any kind of danger, it's, it's out of there. It's going to bolt. How many of you have seen a dog like that? That dog approaches with great fear. You see, something has happened in that dog's past that causes it to believe it can't trust this person that it's approaching. Now compare that dog to the dog sitting comfortably at its master's feet, licking his hand. Difference between those two? What's your point? <laughs> Are you calling us dogs? No. But I ask you this. How often do we approach God with our tail between our legs? How often do we approach God with our head down? Indirectly. Muscles tense, ready to bolt because we're scared to death of God, afraid he's going to punish us. How often do we spend time sitting at his feet, reverently licking his hand? Sounds kind of gross, but you get my point? Maybe we've never been close enough to God to have that opportunity. For some reason, we find it difficult, if not impossible, to actually trust God in that way. We're unwilling to approach him confidently. We're unwilling to, unwilling to worship him completely. We try to handle life on our own. We try to keep everything under control, or at least the appearance of control. And ultimately, our lack of trust in God causes, it not, causes us not to trust one another. David lived out a life of constant worship. He lived a life of licking his master's hand. Why is that important? How does that apply to a sermon about fear? Well, we've got to read the next verse. Verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he did what? He delivered me from all my fears. You see, David worshipped God all the time, and God took away how many of his fears? All of his fears. David didn't approach God with his tail between his legs. David didn't approach God with his head down because he was scared to death he was going to get punished. You see, the first step, the place we have to begin when we're trying to get at this thing called fear is all-out worship of God. And when we are all-out worshiping God, he removes our fears because we get to see who he is. We get to see his heart for us. We begin to trust him and the walls come down. But it gets even better. Verse five, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Oh, I love this. I love this. Not only do we get rid of our inward fears, but we get rid of our shame as well. Have you ever met someone who is ashamed of themselves? Have you? Ashamed of their past, ashamed of their looks, ashamed of the deeds that they, they have committed. See, I think shame and fear go hand in hand. When I'm ashamed of myself, I'm afraid you're going to get in too close. I'm afraid you're going to get to know the real me. And if you find out who the real me is, then you don't want to be my friend anymore. There's no way you'll love me. 
And so that shame of who I really am or that shame of, of this picture of who I am or who I think you see me to be causes me to do this to you. Right? I don't want you in very close because you'll get to know me then. I'm afraid of you. Walls come up. Divisions happen. Fear and shame go hand in hand. But it says, those who look to God, those who worship Him constantly have their shame removed. Now look, it goes on. They are radiant. I love this. See, it says that when our shame is removed, it changes our appearance. The way we look, the way we act in public, the way we see ourselves, it changes our confidence, our demeanor, the way we interact with other people. It, it changes the way we can positively influence the world around us. How? How does that happen? Those who spend time at God's feet are radiant. How does radiant heat work? If you have radiant heat in your house, what do you have to do to get warm? Go stand next to it, right? Radiant heat, it radiates heat. You got that? So people who spend time with God, people who are in a constant state of worship, radiate God. We radiate love. We radiate confidence. We radiate mercy and grace. You get this? This is how we change the world. We're God radiators. I just made that up. That's not in the Bible. but I believe that we warm those around us. It changes the lives of those we come in contact with. Let's keep going. Verses 6 and 7. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Look, this isn't talking about someone who's poor. They don't have money in their wallet. This is someone who's poor spiritually, poor emotionally. And it says, the poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved them. And down here where it talks about those who fear him, that's not I'm scared to death of him. That's fear him, revere him. That's worship him. That's saying, you're God and I'm not. That's what that word fear him means. So David called out. David lifted him up. David worshiped him, revered him, and God heard. And he not only heard David, but he reached affected David's life. He protected him. He delivered him. You guys getting this? Yeah, Pastor Steve, but you don't know my life. I'm not in a place where I can confidently approach God. I'm like that dog slowly approaching with my tail between my legs. I've always had my muscles tensed up. I've always been ready to bolt, ready to rely on my own strength to escape my troubles. Sit at the master's feet and lick his hand? I've never tried that. I'm too afraid. I don't know how. I never took the time. How do I go from where I am, one of totally lacking trust and, and knowing that I should trust God, but not in a position to trust God? How do I change that? Well, you know what? David gives us the answer in the next verse. Verse 8. 
Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Listen, God understands where we are. He created us. He knows how we're wired. He knows that humans can be very skeptical. He knows that we can be thick-headed. I've always said that God has a flat place on the front of his forehead because of me. Because he's constantly going, ay, yay, yay. God knows that we're that way. He understands that we're thick-headed. He understands that when it comes to trusting him, it's difficult for us sometimes because of life's experiences. But you know what he tells us to do? He invites us to taste. How many of you have ever gone to Rita's or, or another ice cream shop, you know? I'm always a chocolate guy, right? I go to an ice cream place, I get chocolate. I go to Rita's, I get mango. But what can you do when you go to Rita's? I mean, if they were still in town. If you go to Rita's in Shippensburg, and they have this brand new fancy schmancy flavor out, what do you do? Can I have a taste of that? And you find out if you like it. You find out if it tastes good. That's what David is saying here. That's what God is saying here. David is so convinced. God is so convinced that if you taste, you will see. He's saying, come, taste. Come on. I'm not afraid. Come taste and you will see. You will see that the Lord is good. You will see that I am trustworthy. There will be no other conclusion that you can possibly arrive at if you come and taste. How do we learn to trust God? We taste and see. We decide to, to go ahead and try it. Lay aside our fears, our doubts, our misgivings, and taste. Most of my life, early on, I spent running in fear from God. Because I thought he was angry at me. My parents, my dad in particular, was a harsh disciplinarian. He either did it his way or there was punishment to come. You never questioned the church. You never questioned the pastor. Ever. Or there would be punishment. I can remember one time as a young boy not understanding something that the pastor w was preaching. And I remember going, my dad was sitting in the basement. There was this little stool that he sat on. And he would smoke his pipe at night. And I can remember walking down and saying to my dad, hey, I, I don't get this. And he told me, it doesn't matter if you get it or not. The pastor said it, so it's true. Don't question him. And he said it in such a way that I know if I would have said one more word, I'd have been in trouble. And that's the view of God that I had. And so for the early part of my life, let me tell you, up until I was 30, folks, the first 30 years of my life, I approached God as a dog with my tail between my legs. As a matter of fact, I got to a point where I didn't even want to approach God. I wanted to run from God. I don't want anything to do with Him. I'll get as far away as I possibly can. And so my life, reflected that. But at the age of 30, I fell on my knees because my life was falling apart. And I cried out to God and I said, I need you. I need you now. And you know what he didn't do? 
He didn't come and smack me in the head. He didn't come and zap me with a lightning bolt. He came and hugged me. How do I know this? Those of you that know my story know that that night I was freezing cold. I was crying actually because my hands were, I was working in an outdoor job. My hands were wet from freezing rain. I was so cold. I was so hurting that I was in tears. And I snuck away from the workers that I was working with because I didn't want them to see me crying, right? And instantly when I surrendered my life to God, I felt 10 degrees warmer. Why? Because my God didn't hit me with a lightning bolt. He hit me with a hug. I tasted that night, and I saw firsthand that my God is good. You want to know how to change the world? The world needs to be encouraged to taste. Because I promise you, when you taste, you will see you will find the same thing I found. You will find the same thing that David found when he wrote this psalm. Our God is good. Yes, we fear him, but it's a reverent fear. And when we have the confidence that we can approach God, when we have a confidence that we can live a life of a master who cares for, for his, his children in such a way that David describes here, we radiate that confidence to the world around us. We warm the people that we come near. I'm telling you, fear's got to go. Fear's got to go. And here's how it goes. We start it, folks. We start it. You got friends and family. You got coworkers and neighbors. You got people in your life who are living in fear right now, introduce them to Jesus. Invite them to taste. And they will see that he is in fact a good, good father. I could get a little fired up. I am going to pray a little bit of scripture. And the worship team's going to come, and guess what we're going to do? We're going to worship some more. Because this thing all started out with David worshiping with all his heart. And we are going to worship, and we are going to declare fear to be dead in this place. And we are going to, to declare that the truth of that is going to radiate from this building, from these four walls. It's going to radiate because we're going to carry it with us. We are going to carry trust, love, compassion, grace, and mercy with us from this place. And I know you might get tired of hearing me saying this, but I believe we are world changers in this room. We are world changers in this room. And we need to go out beyond these four walls and live that way. The worship team will come. If you'll stand with me, please. Let's pray. Father God, I will extol you at all times. Your praise will always be on my lips. I will glorify in you, Lord. Let the afflicted hear. Glorify the Lord with me.
Let us exalt his name together. You guys ready to raise the roof? <laughs>